My name's Joanne Averson, and you are so welcome to Series 3 of my podcast. Enjoy. We are in unprecedented times of rapid change. That's hardly news. We only have to put on the TV, which I resist doing as much as I can these days, to watch the news or listen on the radio or see in social media. Crisis after crisis, charity appeal after charity appeal. And that's if you don't have friends and family going through what seem to be more frequent, if not more dramatic changes themselves. It's a very unusual period of time post-COVID after we discovered as a collective that we were in a collective global situation together. And that, I think, has shifted our perspective and expanded the need for a more spiritual outlook, a more compassionate outlook, and a choice point, a major choice point, between gathering more knowledge, more information, more stuff, more material in a fearful way, as if by hoarding it, we're somehow going to be better off. Or letting that go and recognizing the enormous value of taking care of each other. And for me, the understanding of the praise, for example, where I live in the UK with the NHS, where everywhere you went, there were rainbows. I'm not saying it was all light and fairies and love and light and all that. It wasn't. It was sheer hard work. But there was unprecedented recognition among people for people. And in our local TV shows in the UK, there are now awards in communities for people who've made a difference. And that's not new, but to be on primetime TV, it is in a lot of ways. And I know here we had Strictly Come Dancing last year and Rose Ailing Ellis, who is deaf, won the award and the public at large, and I'm sure around the world, completely fell in love with her because she was just herself, her way. She didn't feel sorry for herself. She didn't drown in her own kind of condition or brand herself with deafness as if it was a handicap that she was the hero for overcoming. On the contrary, she expressed to everybody how she enjoyed being deaf, that it wasn't a handicap and she didn't want to be treated as such. And neither did anyone in the deaf community. And there's just thousands of percentage rise in interest in learning British Sign Language. And that to me is a symbol of compassion that really actually takes my breath away because that is using our awareness, our communication, our compassion, our appreciation for each other in a whole other way. And I think that is a journey of self-empowerment and empowerment of each other which naturally makes a much bigger than you realise difference in the collective. It's like the power of prayer. You know, people 
in 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 my world of complementary health practice there's no time for what Jack D once made a fabulous joke about there's no time for standing over someone's head waving parsley you know like the parsley wavers the alternative medics who are just instinctively going to breathe the air a different color and you're going to rise up from your bed and walk as if you know the practitioner themselves was another Jesus no 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 I'm not talking about that talking very practically about learning what helps the nervous system, what's needed in someone's physical body. You know, I've spent the last 25, 30 years working with people, how they move, how can I help them move better? And then learning about the fascial matrix of looking at where it's stuck and where we can unstick that. So their flow of energy, their healing ability, their body's natural, innate way of self-organising can be enhanced and can be encouraged and can be facilitated. And I think we're being called now to do that even more at a spiritual level. And I think we're being asked to recognise how subtle that can be. And what that means is we're having much more respect for our energy field. Now, my understanding and respect for the human energy field is vast and obvious to anybody that's read anything I've ever written or heard anything I've ever spoken. Because I understand something about the fascia matrix and how that matrix in each of us, through which we self-assemble as embryos, expresses who and how we are. It expresses the shape we're in. But it's only in the West that we divorced the beingness from the body. We treat the body as if it's a separate entity and the fascia as if it's a separate entity from the entities of the body, which is nonsense because everything in the body is made of fascia pretty much. And we separated the being as if anything spiritual is quasi-religious and, you know, works with God as if he's something that resembles Santa Claus and goes around with a clipboard checking off whether you were good enough this year to get a Christmas present. I don't think so. What I'm talking about is the recognition that when something is blocked in someone's physical body, it changes their ability to move physically. And invariably, it changes their ability to be moved emotionally. And that means that there's a connection. And I'm not saying that because I think it and I went out to prove it. I'm saying it because empirically I've worked with thousands and thousands and thousands of people and I've seen it happen thousands and thousands and thousands of times. You shift something physically through the structure of the fascial matrix and that person experiences an emotional and let's say spiritual shift. I'm avoiding the word psychological because I'm not a psychotherapist. However, if psychological means of the psyche of the soul, then there is a metaphysical change that goes with the physical change every time, every time. So when I see something on Instagram like the issues in the tissue, I have to laugh because I'm not sure where else we think it's going to reside in our field. And yes, sometimes it's in the subtle, invisible tissue of our energy field. And last century, that was called an L field by a very revered professor at, I believe, Yale University, 
um, Harold Saxton Barr, who talked about the L fields of the body. They're like a, like a shape field. That means as your body replenishes its cellular structure, the electromagnetic field of every cell and of you maintains the original shape. So even though seven years after you last saw somebody, they've completely replenished, there's not many cells, if any, that are the same as the ones you saw seven years ago, you will still recognise them by their shape. I would contend that you also recognise them archetypally by their personae shape, because I believe that shape, which means morphology, is archetypal. And I think I'm up to four professors around the world that have agreed with that statement. Professors of embryology, professors who understand fascia, professors who are vice presidents of teaching and learning at their universities. So I'm not just talking woo-woo out there, alternative health, la-la. I'm talking a very real, researched understanding that the shape we are in physically is invisibly maintained by this so-called L field and that the invisible forces that transmit through that shape to keep it in shape or let it be out of shape, no judgment either way, just whatever shapes it is partly to do with our soul. On a soul level, if we feel doom and gloom at all these difficulties, if we are consumed with fear, it shows in our demeanour. The head is hung, the shoulders drop forward, the chest drops towards the pubic bone, the legs roll inward. All of these are not necessarily signs of misery, but that default posture, various components of it, can animate those emotions. Now, we have to be very careful about assigning postures and emotions to each other too often, because sometimes if somebody is constantly caring or looking after a child, you will have your arms wrapped around in front of you and be folded down, nurturing and rocking and singing lullabies. So we have to be really careful what postures we assign to which poses or what emotions of the psyche and attitudes we assign to the attitude in French, the posture. So we have to be careful. But what I do know is if I'm watching somebody walking along the street and they've got their head held high and their shoulders back and they look relaxed and they're looking around and they're smiling and they're animated, it tells me something about the being in that body also. Now, not all of us can walk that way. But I come across people in wheelchairs or who are in some other way not able to stride along with their head held high. And you can tell from their energy field, from their, some people would call it their aura, that they are happy and self-empowered within their situation. And this week, one of my very beloved teachers that I, I worked with in person for many years, Carolyn Mace, wrote a um, an email about a workshop that she's currently presenting um, about self-empowerment. And uh, 
she talks about the changes, cl- climate change, the loss of basic rights, democracies losing their footing and so on. And she she's very brilliant at reading the archetypal temperature of the day and the culture that we're in on a global scale, you know, country to country and on a global scale as well. And I'm going to quote you something from what she wrote. I want you to just be very clear. This is Carolyn Mace's writing, not mine. Every spiritual crisis in life is a choice point for personal growth and transformation. The true challenge that exists in every upheaval or life crossroads is whether we can engage our capacity to empower ourselves or give in to fear. Every choice in life, no matter how benign or threatening that choice may seem, is just a disguise for yet another opportunity to choose self-empowerment over fear. Now, what I want to emphasise in my total agreement of that, I adore Carolyn and I think her work is outstanding and I'm so grateful to have been trained in what I do by her. And where I come from is how that expresses through the physiology and through the fascial matrix and how the shape we're in physically is also animated by that archetypal patterning. And when it comes to that shape, the moving of that shape, we tend to trap it very often in very specific ways of shape-shifting, such as I do Pilates because it's the best, or I do yoga and I do it this way and it's got to be this particular lineage, or I'm an athlete, which is like an archetype There is an archetype of the athlete, but not all athletes have the athlete archetype. That's a different discussion. But what you're hearing from that is that every exercise form that we do has a sort of archetype, for want of a better word. And so sometimes we can trap ourselves in that and keep ourselves in a certain shape physically because we become stuck in that archetypal pattern. And sometimes one of the most powerful ways you can deal with the shape you're in and improve it is to go to the archetypal program at the other end of the spectrum to where you are and try something else. What do I mean by that? So say, for example, you've got on the horizontal axis of the somatic body types, the um the archetypes of the of the form, you are very fixed and strong. Think of a, a gladiator, for example. And they go to the gym every day and they pump weights and they do tough things that are required of that. And maybe, and, and I'm not being personal about anybody, I'm just being very general here, maybe they wouldn't be seen dead in a yoga class, a restorative yoga class they'd be like, what's that doing for me? You know, I had a client once who's just what you would call a typical Viking body type. And he said to me, would this soft cranial stuff do anything for me? Because I just can't feel anything. So I'm talking about that. I'm talking about a, a, a treatment type or a training type that's completely at the other end of what you do. That isn't to try and turn a shot put athlete into a ribbon dancer gymnast. You know, we are all born with archetypal somatic types, body types. And 
if your beautiful daughter comes to you one day and says, I'm fed up with learning gymnastics, I want to be a sumo wrestler, you kind of need to have a chat because that might just not be something she can embody this lifetime. It, you know, it just might not. It might just be a straight conversation as in, honey, nah, it's not going to happen. But having said that, when somebody who is very fixed that then does something that's much more at the other end of the spectrum of flexible, what it can do is it can dial down on or expand the bandwidth of that particular archetypal pattern. And where that really works is it gives you a confidence because it gives you more range. And it means that you can let more things waft through in being instead of things being stuck in your energy field as solid judgments, solid opinions, solid reasons to be afraid. And by expanding our self-awareness, like the matrix of our self-awareness, by shifting it, by varying it, we can actually vary our awareness and find things within ourselves that are the keys to our own transformation and find out they're already there. And fundamentally, what's already there are your 12 basic archetypal patterns, your four fundamental friends who you probably think are your inner critic and your the voice of your inner taunting enemies that say to you, oh, you're not good enough for that. Uh, those are the ones we go to. Those are the ones that we take the lead of and transform into gold. And it is one of the most empowering journeys you can take yourself on. And when you get to a stage, when you've worked on yourself, when you know who you are, and then you start working on your somatic archetypes and you bring congruency into both, serious magic happens because you start empowering transformation at a much higher speed. And as you go through life and the speed bumps are there, they always are, and the changes take place, they flow through you instead of blocking you or bringing you down when they hit a block in you. And that is the magic. Stay close. Stay safe. And let's transform those inner anxieties into valuable assets. It's the power of transformation that you're looking for.